Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the site of Pickett's Charge in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, this is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 198, brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Scott. Charge! And this is Mark. Today we'll be discussing the elections of Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis, the rise of online companies using snail mail, and the 1869 pictorial issue. Hold on, hold on. So we're going to get really political into this one, huh? Yes. Introducing a lot of politics? Yep. Uh, Hey, come on. The election day was yesterday. It's a perfect time to do it. That's true. November 6, 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected the 16th president of the United States over a deeply divided Democratic Party, becoming the first Republican to win the presidency. You know who the first Republican to run for president was? Lincoln. Nope. Nobody? Fremont. Fremont was the first Republican to run. As in John C. Fremont? John C. Fremont, discoverer of... uh what did he discover? He didn't discover anything. He, he but he we explored a lot of stuff. He downtown was downtown Las Vegas, yeah, Fremont, Fremont Street. Street, Las Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> he he was uh, a uh, what did uh, uh, what did they call them? Um, not buccaneers. Uh, oh shoot, explorers. No, he he had his own army. Tube sock manufacturers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brought tube socks back east or back west. Um, he uh, 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 filibuster. He was a filibuster, uh-huh. and what they were was um, a personal army, basically, that marched around. So the first Republican was a, uh, quote-unquote, general of his own army. So he was basically the land version of a privateer. Yeah, he, that's exactly. <laughs> a, a filibuster is on land, and a buccaneer or a freebooter is in the water. Yeah, so he was the equivalent of land pirate. Land shark. Well, Lincoln received less than 40% of the popular vote, but handily defeated the three other candidates, who were Northern Democrats Stephen Douglas, Southern Democrats John C. Breckinridge, and Constitutional Union candidate John Bell, by winning 180 electoral votes. Lincoln carried many states above the Mason-Dixon line, as well as California and Oregon. He did not win one Southern state and was not even on the ballot in 10 of them. Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, North and South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah, that is interesting. They refused to put him on the ballot because he, quote, didn't qualify. Well, of course not. He was the first presidential nominee to not appear on the ballot of every state. Lincoln, a Kentucky-born lawyer and former Whig representative to Congress, first gained national stature during his campaign against Stephen Douglas of Illinois for a U.S. Senate seat in 1858. The senatorial campaign featured a remarkable series of public encounters on the issue of slavery, which became known as the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Of which there is a U.S. stamp commemorating those. Is there? Yes, there is. I missed that. Sorry in which Lincoln argued against the spread of slavery, while Douglas maintained that each territory should have the right to decide whether it would become free or slave. Lincoln lost the Senate race, but his campaign brought national attention to the young Republican Party. In 1860, Lincoln won the party's third ballot for the presidential nomination with a party platform that promised not to interfere with slavery in the states, but opposed slavery in the territories a homestead act that promised farmland to Western settlers, and the funding of a transcontinental railroad. The announcement of Lincoln's victory signaled the beginning of secession of the southern states, which since the beginning of the year had been publicly threatening secession if the Republicans gained the White House. That wasn't actually the case, but it was a contributing factor 
people in the South did not say if Lincoln is elected, um, then we're seceding. I they think said, they said if any Republican was elected. Well, no, it was it was more than that because it was uh, the president plus the Congress plus some senators and stuff like that. And this was all, uh, if you remember back in your history class, the uh, Nebraska Compromise. Or they don't, they don't sorry, teach the, that anymore. The Missouri Compromise, which actually was Nebraska and Missouri. Uh, that's what the war was fought over, was the Missouri Compromise. Oh, it started way before that. Oh, yeah. Well, in 1808, we had the uh, ability to get rid of slavery, and everybody shuffled the can down the road and screwed up. And so we had a civil war that killed 460,000 people because they didn't do anything in 1808. Well, by the time of his inauguration on March 4th, 1861, seven states had seceded, and the Confederate States of America had been formally established. One month later, the American Civil War began when Confederate forces under General P.G.T. Beauregard opened fire on Union-held Fort Sumner in South Carolina. In 1863, as the tide turned against the Confederacy, Lincoln emancipated the slaves in an 1864 one re-election. In April 18... No, 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 he didn't. The Emancipation Proclamation didn't free any slaves. Are you sure? I'm positive, and uh, Tom is giving arm gestures that uh, explain because I. Oh, okay. The Emancipation Proclamation freed all slaves in southern seceded territories, Maryland, Tennessee, and Kentucky, which were Union states, still had slaves. So the slaves that Lincoln could have freed, he didn't, and the slaves that Lincoln could not free. He did. So the Emancipation Proclamation was basically a document for European consumption. The uh, British were wondering whether or not they should side with the South because they had a large textile industry. And uh, Lincoln said, well, basically he came out and said, hey, you know, exactly what we're doing today, you know, calling people racists. He basically said, if you side with the South, you're a racist and... Uh, Britain said, oh, God damn it. They played the race card on us. We can't do it now. So it worked. But Lincoln's freed no slaves with the Emancipation Proclamation. Okay. He freed no slaves in the United States. He freed all the slaves in the Confederate States. Oh, he probably freed them all in Russia and Bulgaria, too. I mean, <laughs> places where he had no ability to do it, he freed them all, I guess. Yeah, but it also tied the issue of slavery to the Civil War. That is true. This is the first time, and uh, there was a lot of uh, upheaval in the Union side saying, we're, we're not fighting for slaves, we're fighting to preserve the Union. And all of a sudden it became a war about slavery, but it basically was Lincoln playing the race card on Britain. Well, in April 1865, he was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth, a Confederate sympathizer, at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. The attack came only five days after the American Civil War effectively ended with the surrender of Confederate General Robert E. Lee at Appomattox. Funny story about Ford's Theater, too. After Lincoln was assassinated there, it kind of went out of business. Let's say it fell out of favor dramatically. They went and they moved to New York and they opened another theater. And then they sold it later on. And you know what that theater is called today? Radio City Musical. No, no, no. Madison Square Gardens. The Fords, when they left Washington, went to New York and made what eventually became Madison Square Gardens. Interesting. For preserving the Union and bringing an end to slavery, and for his unique character and powerful oratory, Lincoln is hailed as one of the greatest American presidents. Along with Chester Arthur. Chester A. Arthur. Chester A. Arthur. Well, also on the same day, but in 1861, Jefferson Davis was elected as the first president of the Confederate States of America. thought it very interesting that they were both November 6th, exactly one year apart. They both basically had the same constitution. Davis ran unopposed with the election simply confirming the decision that had been made by the Confederate Congress. Davis, like Lincoln, was from Kentucky. He attended West Point and took parts in the Black Hawk War of 1832 and the Mexican War from 1846 to 1848. 
He was appointed to fill a vacant seat in the U.S. Senate for Mississippi after the war and later served as Secretary of War for President Franklin Pierce. Though he was the first and only choice for the Confederate States, he feared what was to come, saying, Upon my weary heart was showered smiles, plaudits, and flowers, but beyond them I saw troubles and thorns innumerable. Davis was elected to a six-year term, which ended with the end of the Civil War when the Confederacy was dissolved May 5th, 1865. So he didn't serve his full six years? No, he did not. Well, Abraham Lincoln was first featured on the 15-cent black National Banknote stamp, Scott Number 77, issued in April 1866. He was also prominently featured on the 90-cent pictorial issue of 1869, which is the Carmen and Black Scott Number 122. And he would go on to be represented on many more U.S. stamps. I didn't want to list them all. Yeah, Because no he's kidding. on a lot. Yeah. <laughs> number 77 was the first time he appeared. Yes. And they broke the uh, rule for that. There was, it, you know, a, the rule of how many years you can wait after you're dead. Well, they did that with a lot of presidents. Yeah. Well, Lincoln, you know, you don't. Yeah. It, and I think the I'm rule gonna, never really applied to a president. Yeah, don't get me wrong about the Emancipation Proclamation. I, in my opinion, I think that Lincoln is like the second greatest president behind Chester Arthur. Um, he did amazing things. He stood up against amazing challenges. I mean, it, he is one of he is one of the greatest presidents. And the only reason I like Chester Arthur is because he matches more my style. So chaos. No, Chester Beard. Arthur was, uh, he was lazy, and that uh, racks me up pretty good. He also did away with uh, a lot of the government corruption. Jefferson Davis appeared on a majority of the Confederate States of America stamps, not holding to the convention of only representing prominent figures who were deceased. Davis is featured on the Confederate States Scott numbers 1, 4, 6, 7, 9, 10, 11, and 12, out of 14 yeah yeah he was an interesting fellow too he, he if you do a um there's several podcasts on uh the civil war but some of them have really really great stuff about in the beginning of the war jefferson davis and robert e lee were actually limiting their attacks they didn't want to attack washington dc and stuff like that because they actually thought it would escalate problems they wanted to, you know, make it very nice, very easy, very clean. They didn't expect a lot of death, and uh, it didn't work out so much. And he was not captured wearing a dress. Jefferson Davis, that is. Never heard that he was. Yeah, that was a myth that uh, northern newspapers spread around to try to get him that he was, like, running away and trying to escape. So it was fake news? Fake news. Also, uh, interesting thing, the... The Confederate soldiers were treated as the, basically the same as Union soldiers from a point of law. And the reason for that was because they were all pardoned. It was a blanket pardon for everybody. And uh, Congress actually had, you know, well, let's pardon everybody except for these guys. And then they said, no, we're pardoning everybody. And they said, well, what about just Jefferson Davis? We don't want to pardon him. And eventually even he got pardoned. So everybody got pardoned, except for like if you committed crimes and stuff. But just joining the Confederacy, everybody got pardoned for. Well, if you were a soldier and you got pardoned, all of a sudden you this is where you have some Confederate soldiers who got benefits, U.S. benefits. And that's where it came from is this pardoning. I love the Civil War. I should take that back. The Civil War was an atrocity and a terrible thing. I love the history of the Civil War. I like the postal history of the Civil War. Yes, definitely. I want to learn more about it. But there's a lot of stuff to learn. Oh, yeah. For a five-year period. Yeah. And 14 stamps. Well, not including the postmaster provisionals. There's a lot of those. Plus just the people in it. You know, Sherman was on a stamp and Grant was on a stamp. Before he, you know, before he was president, he was on a stamp. Or was it after? That would have been after. Are you sure? I'm thinking about the dates. Oh, well. Winfield Scott. He was on a stamp, and everybody goes, who the hell is that guy? 
for another podcast. There you go. Yeah. Well, let's move off the Civil War and way up to modern day online companies. So, why do so many hip startups advertise with snail mail? An article on Vox.com breaks down why many digital first companies are marketing with mailers in this high-tech environment. The idea of having a mailbox full of actual mail seems outdated. Print magazines are fading, more and more bills are paid online, and many brands have scaled back on printed catalogs, preferring to funnel resources into website upkeep and social media instead. Over the last few years, brands, including hot, digitally savvy, direct-to-consumer ones like Casper, Harry's, Wayfair, Rover, Quip, Away, Handy, and ModCloth, have taken to targeting customers in the mail. If you're in your 20s or 30s and live in an urban city, you probably have gotten, for example, a glossy blue booklet from mattress brand Casper, inviting you to check out its latest products. Perhaps you've tossed these mailers into the trash and moved on to your meal delivery kit. But maybe you've done exactly what these companies want you to do, which is go to their site. Extra points if you buy something using the accompanying discount code found on all their mailings. Why do these disruptive online-first companies want to be our old-school pen pals? That's interesting they use the word disruptive there, because if you remember, we were discussing the Canadian Post. Oh, yeah. And you what? thought disruptive was a bad thing? Yeah. I, I, they changed the definition of disruptive, I guess. Yeah, it, it means they're going dis- against... They're disrupt- it's They're disrupting the, the norm. Grain. It's going yeah. against the grain of what, what is perceived as being the trend for business. So, the, like, the, the Confederate states were disruptive to the United States. That's not the disruptive they're using. No. No. The rise of young digital brands spending money to mail us stuff speaks to the cyclical progress of shopping trends. A decade ago, companies looking to reach customers would often buy email addresses from third parties. They'd do giveaways, and if existing customers handed over their family and friends' email addresses, they'd offer discounts, too. I hated that. Oh, it's horrible. Hey, give give us your friend's email address. Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) Fast forward 10 years, and the virtual mailbox today looks a whole lot like our parents' IRL mailboxes back then. In real life. That would be, I was going to say, in real life. In case you're not hip with IRL. (laughs) A total wreck. Our inboxes are overflowing with newsletters, real letters, ride-sharing receipts, lunch-sharing receipts, bills, fake bills, breaking news notifications, not-so-breaking news notifications, brand promotions, sales promotions, social media alerts, spam, and porn. How do we stay on top of all of this? I don't get any porn in my email. I must be on the not. Well, on your the email right. buddies are the wrong type. Yeah, then. no kidding. <laughs> the answer, as you probably know, is that we can't and we don't. Emails often get deleted without so much as being opened, regardless of how cheeky the sub- subject line is. Not only that, we have what are called spam filters. Oh yeah, and r- rules that are run on incoming mail. Oh, if it's from this person, just automatically send it over here. Yep. But not everybody knows that. They're relying on people who don't know about that, the average everyday well, person. Well, but I think most young people are tech-savvy enough to figure out how to use a email filter. People our age get hundreds of emails a day, but they only get 10 pieces of mail a day, if that many, says Pete Christman, the head of acquisition marketing at the shaving company Harry's, which counts on mailers as part of its marketing. From a numbers perspective, email is a much noisier environment. Yeah, I hear a lot of stuff. Uh, You know, Harry's is actually advertising on a lot of podcasts and stuff. I'll listen to podcasts, and they always have Harry's. uh, They have interesting stuff. Basically, they, they are selling shaving cream and razors, over podcasts and stuff. And it's like, how the hell do you pull that one off? I mean, everybody just goes down to the supermarket and buys them. Because they sell them way cheaper than the supermarkets do. Yeah. 
Well, I shave rarely, as people who have seen my picture will know. But I still find their ads interesting. I don't seem to get those ads. Anyway, advertising on social media has become increasingly difficult. In case you haven't noticed, brands are targeting you on social media. And in aiming for the ideal customer, many companies are finding themselves in the same spot, targeting the exact same age group living in the exact same area with the exact same income. Typically, millennials living in cities in heavily populated areas with middle-range incomes. This pond brands have to fish in is small and only getting more crowded, which explains why so many digitally native brands turn to old-school retail methods like opening stores or buying billboards. It's also for this reason that mail is often a better way to catch the attention of new and existing customers than a Facebook or Instagram ad. It's also why uh, Facebook and other uh, Twitter are selling information is because it is so hard to find your market. And everybody says, you know, I don't want my information to go to Facebook and stuff like that. And I understand that. But the companies are looking for how do we address our advertising to people who actually care about our advertising. And so, you know, when analytics, you know, when Facebook sells their analytics to other people, they're not trying to, you know, attack you or anything. They're trying to figure out how to find people who want to buy what they have to sell. Well, the advertising world gets excited about things like digital and pours money into complicated ads when there's limited opportunity because everyone is trying to get in front of the same people. And they're limited users, says Christman. Facebook often raises its ad prices as they become more effective, and so the cost of customer acquisition keeps climbing. The cost of a stamp, on the other hand, is not up to Mark Zuckerberg. Ah, you give it time, it will be. <laughs> no, it'll be up to Amazon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. Direct mail went away for a while, but more digital brands are seeing how well it works as strong marketing, says Cheryl Kaplan, the president of DTC footwear company MGemi, which sends attractive, thick-papered pamphlets to new and existing customers. It's a different way to speak with customers who are sick of the ads they see on Instagram. But while customers might be sick of ads on Instagram, they're not sick of ads that look like Instagram. Today's mailers have a distinctly modern feel. While brands like Glossier and MGMI choose to mail pamphlets out on their own, more companies are opting for a way in which they can share the costs. In effect, group mailers. At some point in time, you probably have been mailed a thick, colorful envelope filled with promotional advertisements from many brands, all packaged and delivered neatly together. Read coupon advertising. Yeah, the um, I get the value, money mailer. Value, yeah, value packs. packs. Yeah, value packs too. One company that has mastered this type of mailing is Share Local Media, a mailer advertising company that's been around for about two years and specializes in working with digitally native brands. Teju Prabhakar, the company's CEO and co-founder, has a background in the world of digital. He previously worked at Quidzy, the fast-growing e-commerce company behind diapers.com, which was acquired and later killed by Amazon. After moving to on-demand cleaning startup Handy, Prabhakar decided to start a mailer marketing firm in 2016 because he didn't think digital businesses took the mail seriously enough. Uh, is Penny Saver still around? Has anybody nope. seen a Penny Saver? Penny anymore? Saver went out of business years ago. Yeah. Well, at least out here it did. I think I think they still have places on the, on the East Coast where they are still uh, viable. Yeah, in California and Nevada, I haven't seen one in years, and I was wondering if they're just totally dead. Everyone lumps direct mail with TV and radio together, and they are actually pretty different, he says. I felt like direct mail could work really well if you get the right targeting format and you are creative. Share Local Media now has Instagram-friendly clients like Casper, Joybird, Lyft, Oars and Alp, ModCloth, Away, Jet.com, Rover, and Hymns. People who've received these mailers have noticed how striking it is to get mail from startups, of all places, and have even joked about comparing Share Local Media's envelopes to podcasts 
in real life. It's funny that to think that these online tech companies are thinking of the mail is equivalent to a podcast. Like you've heard, I mean, oh, we've often heard the, po- the podcast <laughs> podcast being talked about as the wild, wild west. It's like, yeah, everybody's out there. Anybody can do it. You can throw it up there. And now they're treating the mail like that. It's like, but, but really? The, the mail's is, been around a lot longer, guys. But the funny thing is, when you want to listen to a podcast, it's on demand. Well, when you want to read your mail, snail mail, it's on demand. You can either, you can pick it up off of the table and read it anytime you want. So it is kind of like an on-demand thing. Oh, absolutely. I always open those value packs and I see if there's anything interesting in them. Oh, absolutely. Because three, never... quor- three quarters of them are for new garage doors or carpet cleaning, though. Yeah, but yeah, you, you are correct. <laughs> but you know, being a homeowner, you never know what you might, what might be needed to you know upkeep well, on your home. When or... I when I worked in construction, doing the loft conversions that we used to do, we were in some of those mail packets and you know the hope is that somebody opens it up goes through it has what you're looking for and goes you know i don't need this now but this is a good idea and they put it in their drawer and then one day they come across and go oh yeah i remember this and they call you yeah that does occur but uh more likely is you hit a person when they're thinking about something. And that's why they have to mail it over and over. Well, not only they're that. They're waiting for you to think about a garage. They're waiting for you to close your garage door on your car, destroy your garage door, and then the coupon comes in the mail. Yeah, but not only that, you know, they're waiting for your garage door to break, and you've seen their coupon 18 times over the last 18 months, and now who's... What company's brand name do you have in your head when you go, I need to replace my garage door now? Okay, well, I'll give you a little test on this. What company garage door? You said you open them all the time. You you did too. What company garage door? I'm not a homeowner. I don't pay attention to the garage door ones. I toss them. (laughs) And that's why I'm saying is, uh, you know, from an advertising standpoint, they just, they hope to hit you when you need the item. And that's why they have to do it over and over again. Uh, the targeting of the mail from an advertising standpoint is a very, very interesting thing and way out of, you know, what we're talking about. I mean, we're talking about Lincoln and Davis getting elected. We're not going to go into like advertising, graduate level advertising courses here, but it is interesting because one of the reasons everybody went from uh, mail to online is the cost. Online cost is virtually zero. And now, not anymore, though. Well, because and, a lot of that is targeted to social media, and like it's, it's like this article right. stated a little bit ago. The more successful you are at marketing, the more Facebook's going to charge you. So it's no longer either free or even a fixed cost. Mm-hmm. It just keeps going up. Yep, and that's why you know from a standpoint of. I think right now it costs about 22 cents to mail a bulk rate postcard sort of size advertisement. So they're saying that I would rather target a person for 22 cents than do it for free on the internet. And probably what's going to happen is obviously they do both. But the internet is probably just so ineffective. The, the uh, advertising from mail is making its way back up to being uh, reasonable. Well, when was the last time you were on social, on Facebook and clicked on one of those adverts on the side? Never once. See? Same, same here. And the cost of trying to get on the first page of a Google search oh, is, is a, also astronomical. Astro- astronomical. Well, because you're either spending money in web development to try and increase your natural search engine optimization to get yourself on the front page or you're paying for something like Google AdWords to be put on the front page and then you get charged per click. Yeah. Well, so what's the price of that compared to what it costs to send a mailer? Well, from our standpoint, you know, with PSE, we're in exactly this situation except that we have an incredibly targeted area. All we want to we're do is super, talk to, We're super niche. Yeah, we're stamp collectors. How the hell do you find stamp collectors? You have to find people who clicked on Facebook. You have, 
<laughs> you advertise on Hipstamp. <laughs> yeah, places like that. Yeah, you know. Or, but realistically, <clears throat> we're the equivalent of Hipstamp. We don't have to advertise on them. They don't have to advertise on us. We are who we are. So we just have to have ourselves presentable. Let's say. But yeah, we can't. We can't advertise via mail. There's no way we would ever get addresses of stamp collectors who buy stamps that are valuable enough where you care whether they're fake or not. Well, there's no place to target it. You know, the demographics all over the United States and it's not concentrated in a city or somewhere like that. They're spread out. Stamp collectors are spread out all over the place. We have, we have to find uh, stamp collectorville, Nebraska and just hit everybody there. Harry's.com has to find guys who buy stuff online. Yeah. Guys. That's, Guys a little, who, little easier to target. Guys who have facial hair. <laughs> I'm not one of those. Well, anyway, Share Local Media charges a minimum of $15,000 for, for 30,000 envelopes, a cost that's split between the companies in the mailer. Provacar's team buys customer addresses and demographic information from the U.S. Postal Service and third-party providers like your credit card company. And Facebook. Not unlike Facebook, the company is able to provide targeted mailing thanks to a proprietary system that organizes addresses into categories such as moms, people who've just moved, or residents of high-income areas. Shared local media also does look-alike marketing, determining who the brand's existing customer is and finding similar customers to mail envelopes to. This is exactly the way Facebook helps brands target audiences online Except as Christina Carbonell, the co-founder of kids' clothing company Primary, notes, you give an offer that the person can hold on to. It's hard to do that in a banner ad. Yeah, it's impossible. You have, to, you have your physical coupon. Yeah. As anyone who's actually bothered to open one of these envelopes knows, discount offers are what really matter to customers. Prabhakar advises that every brand puts in value prop that compels a customer to take action. Well, we do that. AKA a coupon code. Yeah. We used to do this. You know, I used to run a day spa and I would always have, and me and Scott just had this discussion about his business card. The uh, therapist would give out their cards and I would say, first of all, if you look at the card, it has to be advertising what you're selling. And then second of all, you have to have a reason for them to keep the card Now, I used to be a member of the Magic Castle, so my business cards for the day spas on the back had a coupon to go to the Magic Castle. Nobody ever threw away my business card. 100% of the time, they kept my business card. Um, This is exactly like, this is number one trick in trying to do stuff is to get people to keep your advertisements. This, of, of course, is one of the oldest tricks in the book, oh. dating back to when Coca-Cola introduced the concept of a coupon in 1887 by offering a free glass of Coke as a way to introduce the drink to shoppers. I should have read ahead. You should have let me read. <laughs> Scientists studied how coupons can cause a rise in oxytocin levels. Psychology Today has reported on how shoppers prefer to buy products they have coupons for, even if it means spending more money on a product because it provides smart shopper feelings. More analysis of the coupon industry has found that 57% of shoppers will buy from a company for the first time if they are presented with a coupon. Are mailers more effective than online advertising? Shane Pitson, the head of marketing at electric toothbrush startup Quip, says direct mail piece URLs are more likely to be used than URLs from other offline marketing channels. Hold on, what? Direct mail pieces. Direct mail piece URLs. URLs are websites. Yeah, but you, so you direct mail the person and say, go to our website? Yes. Oh. They're more likely to be used than URLs from other offline marketing channels. And Christman from Harry's advocates for the practice, noting that sending something to someone's home can feel more intimate, which is true. But being targeted, unsolicited, at home, 
could be at least as off-putting as being served an ad for a brand you Googled or talked about. Glossy photography definitely looks better in real life, but it also essentially just ends up in the trash, just like everything else. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how much you enjoy being entreated to spend money, brands see mail as complementary to the rest of their advertising budget. It's not an if-or, says Kaplan, but is something that adds to the ways we can share our story. That's very interesting. Who yeah, who the, wrote this? This this was uh, on this, Vox. This came Vox.com. Yeah, but did it say who wrote it on Vox? Uh, I'd have to look up and see if there's the author attached to it. I didn't find the author's name. Yeah, because it's very interesting if it's true. I unfortunately they always use they they don't use stamps on their mail. It's all metered or imprint mail. Well, see, there's the hitch: is if the mail increases. Some of these people do use stamps. Eventually they will, yeah. Yeah, so, and this is one but of But they'll the, probably be our, our, our dreaded pre-sorteds and, and, you know, other bulk mail type rates so that they can save money, but... Yeah, but you know that doesn't matter. I mean, the, there's still stamps. Yeah, and in fact, as stamps get rare or more rare on your mail their perceived value is going to be higher. I think instead of some of these generic, uninteresting designs that the Postal Service uses for their bulk and standard mail stamps, I think they ought to make commemorative-type designs on these stamps. I totally agree. I 100% totally agree. Or even a stamp label that says that you paid the bulk rate price. So, you know, it could be a stamp that goes on that um, doesn't necessarily have a fixed value to it. It just shows that it was metered correctly or something like that. Uh, I I was watching and talking with some other people. They were saying that stamps are you know not used on mail, and therefore the stamp collecting hobby is going to be affected by. Basically, it's going to be driven out of business. And I was thinking, it, no, because if the number of stamps on your mail drops, because it won't drop to zero. But if the number of stamps on your mail drops, then when you get a stamp on your mail, it's an event. It's more of an event. It's not like, oh, I already got all these stamps. I got 10 stamps today and I already have them all. It's, I got two stamps today. They're more rare. Or I got two stamps this week. Or this week, yeah. So you're also more likely to read a piece of mail that has a stamp on it versus... Well, you're more likely to open it. That's, yeah, that's sure, yeah. been yeah, that, proven by research. Right. And so it, it's exactly the same as uh, $2 bills. If you get a $2 bill in your, uh, in your change, you tend to hold on to it because there's a perceived value to it. When in reality, they're printing $2 bills right now. Right now, you can go and just get $2 bills. It's no big deal. You give them two $1 well, bills and they'll give you Well, you can't go to the two. bank and get $2 bills because most banks don't have them. I, do, <laughs> I, I bet you that most banks do have them. And my, my, my mother sends my daughter's cards all the time, and she almost always includes $2 bills, whether she includes four of them or five, two yep. of them, four of them, five of them you know, four, 10 bucks, but she's got to be getting them from somewhere because she's not just, it's not just one she's collecting at the deli. I don't, I don't think the deli that she runs can get that many $2 bills in the course of a, yeah. a year. Well, I got a hundred dollar bill and you know, now they have the one with the blue and everything, the color before that they had the one with the large Franklin head, the one before that they had the small Franklin head. So it was like from the 1990s. I got one of those. And I hadn't gotten one of those in a really long time. And I carried that $100 bill around with me far, far longer. And then I said, what the hell am I doing? And I spent it. But, you know, as things get more scarce, they are more noticed when you get one. And so, like, you know, we've had this discussion before where, you know, stamp collecting is going to die because stamps are going to be gone off the mail. If they go 100% off the mail, I agree. If they go 90% off the mail, 
I do not agree. I think that if you get 10% as many stamps, it makes the event of getting a stamp more, not less. Just like getting a $2 bill and the change. Well, I've seen some of the advertising now that comes in just like a regular business size envelope where it actually, the the ad, your name and address is printed in like cursive so it looks like somebody hand wrote it. Oh, and yeah. And then they put an actual stamp on it. Yep. And I've got, I look at those and go... Nope, it's not really handwritten. But it takes me a minute. I nope. Okay, it's fake. I get, oh, it, I, it's, it's, it's I get like, those from a. I get the. I get it one about one a week, and it's from Crosspoint, which is a home refinance company. Because obviously, I've got a fairly I, new I've mortgage. Seen them, I've seen them. And from, I get I get one a week. I get a couple and of them, and they're addressed exactly yeah. like that. It's some auto pen yeah. printed address that looks yeah. like somebody hand wrote it. And it's got a regular stamp on it. It's Usually even, a it's flag even, it's stamp even gotten or a, like It's that. even gotten a, a faked, handwritten and return address. The, yeah. and, and they've used a forever stamp to pay the first-class mail rate, which means they're paying way more than they need to, yeah. probably. Yep. Uh, and I guarantee but, a lot more of those get opened and looked at before people start realizing, oh, it's just an advertisement. Well, I open them because I want to take the stamp off the envelope. <laughs> yeah, but if you know... But see... But you know, so you open it up and you'll take that out. You'll toss away the thing without even looking at it and then yeah, keep the much. envelope. But it's it's the people that see cursive writing and a stamp. They open it up, pull it out. Hey, who's this from? And they start reading it and it's like a paragraph and a half in when suddenly the advertising pitch hits you and you go, darn it. Oh, I'm I, reading someone's ad. <laughs> but oh, I, I, I bet it gets a lot yeah. of people. I don't see that so much where you open it up. When you open it up, it's pretty clear what it is. But you're opening it up. You're looking at it. And I mean, you're taking the first step. I, I, I go to my mailbox literally once every four, four or five days. I mean, I just let the mail sit there unless I know something's coming. I do and too, I'll, and my mailbox is in my front yard. Yeah, and then I'll go through it, and there, you know, I have a community mailbox just like you do, Scott. Yeah, but mine's in my front yard. Yeah, and but I have an advantage over you. Next to mine is a trash can. Oh. <laughs> and I literally will sort my mail right there. But you're right. I, the the cursive addressed stamps are more likely to get in your house than they are the trash can. Right, exactly. Because, I mean, literally... It, I look at it and it just goes into the trash can. There, there is no recognition. Well, on I it. do that at the at my PO box. I just sit sit there and sort it in the post office before I leave. Yep. Because yep. there's garbage cans all always there in the, in the lobby. Well, that's why you know we just got we got a great donation from. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Ray at Quality Philatelics. They gave us a whole bunch of postcards. Postal cards. Excuse me. Postal cards. And so. That, the difference for those of our listeners who don't know is a postal card has printed postage from the post office on it. And a postcard can be printed by anybody. So we are going to use those as advertising. And the cool thing, of course, is, you know, a postcard is how much is a postcard now? Like 34, 35, 34, 34 35, 35, something yeah. like that. And it's already got like 20 cents on it. And then we... No, most of them are 14 and 15 cents. 14 and 15? Yeah. Okay, so if we add, you know, three eight-cent stamps, which are buying at half face, you know, we've got some really, really cheap advertising. All we have to do is get a rubber stamp to stamp the back and uh, put a label on it. People like getting postcards. Postcards, especially stamp collectors. You know, you're going to look at it and there's going to be stamps and it's a real postcard. Well, I like getting uh, postcards for our contest entry. Oh, good segue. Are you going to announce that at this one? No. Oh. Actually, I was going to do it the second week, but I realized that we're probably not going to be recording next week because we record on Wednesday and Scott and I are leaving for Chicago on Thursday morning. So I'm not sure even if we do record, if we'll get to if I'll get to do editing until we get back on Monday. In which case, we're so going to have two probably a dark week next week. But um, I don't know if I'll have a couple more drift in. I think we've got about nine entries, so not a ton. And the last one I got, I think, was yesterday and was actually post-dated October 31st. Mm. So I'm not sure that many more will be coming in unless they're after the cutoff date. Ugh. And then you're breaking the rules. 
No, I won't break the rules. I said October 31st. <laughs> but, yeah, we've got about nine entries, so chances are pretty good. I mean, what? I'm, I'm surprised we only got nine entries. I was surprised, too. But, hey, for the people who did send them in, your, yeah. odd, your odds are very good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> May the odds be ever in your favor. And they are. Well, we went a long time today, so I think uh, we were going to discuss the 1869 pictorial issues, which I brought up last episode. But I think what we're going to do, since we're running a decent clip already, I think we'll move that to next recording. We'll cover the 1869 issue. Besides, it's a lot less for me to write next week. Yeah. Plus, we kind of already addressed it. We talked about 122 with uh, Lincoln on it. Right, and that's why I was going to do the segue into this story, but everyone's going to have to hold their horses, and we'll do it we'll next seg- week. We'll segue, well, 14 days from now. We'll seg- we'll yeah, about, segue- two week- about two weeks from now. Yeah, we'll segue into it for two weeks. So this is a really long segue. Right. <laughs> well, there are no new issues this week. Sorry, Cash, all your Christmas issues oh, are already out. I brought, likely my, I brought my Festivus pole. My Festivus pole is in here. No, it's before Thanksgiving. Can't do that. Scott Scott threw it on the ground. Me but it's, uh, not, it's not Thanksgiving yet. So Fest, respect Fest, the bird. Festivus pole. <laughs> Mark, respect the bird. <laughs> there probably won't be any new issues need, b- between now and the end of the year. Yeah, probably no new issues. Well, I'll see if someone comes up with a surprise thing. We'll announce it. Oh, I hear they're going to come out with a Festivus poll uh, issue. Yeah, well, I've already expressed my opinion. I'm ready to put that. (laughs) Well, the upcoming show schedule, uh, November 15th, they're going to have an on-the-road course, the Postal History of World War II in the Pacific Ocean, which is going to be prior to Chicago PEX. And that's going to be instructed by Ken Lawrence. The cost for APS members is $45 or $95 for non-members. If you're interested in checking that out and you're going to be at Chicago PEX, it's stamps.org slash on-the-road-courses. And it runs from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. How could anybody pay $95? It costs $30 to become a member. You could you could literally just if you, by the way, folks, if you're they're, not they're encouraging you to become a member so yeah. you don't pay ninety five dollars. If you're not an APS member, the punishment of not being an APS member is not being an APS member. You, everybody should join the APS. It is a fantastic organization, and it's not because they do the road shows. It's because they do the road shows plus a zillion other things, and they sponsor a lot of shows as well. Yeah. So if you like going to shows, support the APS. If if you just want to be a member of an organization that has your interests in mind, who do a great publication. And you just know, redid their website. And, and just redid and their website. every once in a while, you get some direct mail marketing from them. <laughs> With stamps on it. Well, actually, it's not just from them. Sometimes... Uh, Sometimes Stamp dealer dealers. members yeah. buy the buy the address list from them. Did I ever tell you the uh, first negative that I ever got on eBay was for mailing a person their lot and not paying for it with stamps? That was my first negative on eBay. And well-deserved. Yeah. <laughs> well, in hindsight, yeah, it is. <laughs> so November 16th through 18th is Chicago Pex in Itasca, Illinois, at the West End Chicago Northwest at 400 Park Boulevard. Their website is chicagopex.org. And who should they ask for when they get there? I'll get there. Oh. November 17th is Manfill in Manchester, Connecticut at East Catholic High School at 115 New State Road. Their website is manchesterphilatelic.webs.com. November 17th is the Autumn Stamp Festival in Cheektowaga, New York. They're going to be at the VFW Post 2450 Walden Avenue. And as we talked about last week, November 17th, the Black River Stamp Club annual show in Elyria, Ohio at St. Jude's School at 590 Poplar Street. And they're also going to be having a lot of airmail-related stuff there. 
Yeah, if you uh, go back, listen to our last episode again, if you want to hear about it, they are going to have some really cool stuff going on. And as Kaz just tried to point out, which I'm going to mention now, Scott and I will be at Chicago Pex. We'll be wandering the floor. Unfortunately, we don't have a table at the show, but please try and find us if you are there. It'll be kind of like a scavenger hunt. Will you be wearing a rose on your lapel? No, but maybe I should. Yeah. And also... I need, go, I need go. a big shirt. I need a shirt that says Stamp Show here today on the back so I can... And also go over and check out the entries because Stamp Show here today is entered into the literature competition. So we hope to see you there if you're going to Chicago. Looking forward to it. I recommend you guys wear a sandwich board. Yeah, not so sure about that. But when I go now, I wear a... Uh, Big long red duster makes makes me uh, makes you look up. like a fool. <laughs> makes me look like a magician, which is well, I guess the same thing. <laughs> Hardly a difference between the two. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. This has been Stamp Show here today, episode number one ninety eight. This was Tom and Scott and Cash and Mark. You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.